0: a big deal and i don't think that it's leveraged enough by healthcare innovators this totally accessible and high impact process for influencing public policy is a black box for lots of innovators and if you know me you know i love shining lights into black boxes so uh caitlin are you ready to get into it you're listening to decoding healthcare innovation with kerry nixon and rebecca gwilt a podcast for novel and disruptive healthcare business leaders seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. Hello everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Decoding Healthcare Innovation. Before we jump in, I just want to say that I was just informed this podcast is now ranked number two in the Apple Healthcare Business News podcast rankings, and I am completely blown away. Um, on behalf of Carrie and I, just want to say thank you to you guys who are listening and gals, and please do help letting us uh, do do keep letting us know what topics or people or conversations that you'd like us to cover. Um, we are flying this plane while we're building it, so there is definitely room for for input.
1: Yes, very exciting. And now I'm very excited to be here and help me while we fly it.
0: (laughs) That's right. Help me. So today I'm joined by Caitlin O'Connor. Caitlin is senior counsel at Nixon Gwilt Law. She leads NGL's remote patient monitoring team, which is kind of a misnomer because she does A lot more than that, Uh, and I think she's one of the best healthcare innovation lawyers in the country. I'm so excited to have her here today. I invited her uh, to the podcast to speak a bit about the work she does with her clients to influence healthcare policy on behalf of her clients, and no, she is not a lobbyist. Uh, in this episode today, we'll be talking about how healthcare innovators can influence federal healthcare policy without a budget for lobbyists and public relations professionals. Uh, though those don't hurt if you um, can afford them, I would hire them. Uh, so, Caitlin, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. I do just want to also kind of give an extra kudos to you and Carrie for building this thing. Um, I have been on podcasts before and I used to have one and it's not super easy to climb up the charts as quickly as you all have. So it's really, really impressive. And I'm super excited to be here and talk about this. This is one of my favorite topics.
0: Awesome, awesome. So, Caitlin and I, this is our third time on camera today. We just finished recording a presentation for healthcare industry innovators on remote patient monitoring, RPM, remote therapeutic monitoring, RTM, chronic care management, CCM, uh, transitional care management, TCM, principal care management, PCM, virtual care, and plain old telehealth. We do similar presentations every year after CMS, which is another acronym, that's the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, releases its proposed physician fee schedule. This fee schedule is a list of codes that healthcare providers bill to Medicare, um, each code corresponding to a different service or product and uh, CMS is required by law to listen to what you think about it. Uh, this is quite relevant to healthcare innovation companies, digital health companies, companies who are in the spaces with all the word soup, uh, the, the letter soup I just uh, went over. Um, it has a tremendous impact. Uh, a recent example being the creation of what is now a, an over $40 billion industry uh, in remote patient monitoring, which just cropped up in the space of the last couple of years. We've said a little bit about that on our podcast already. It sprung out of a single CMS billing code that was introduced in this fee schedule, um, which is 99091, uh, proposed in 2018. Um, So just an example of of the impact that this fee schedule can have. Each year, CMS has expanded reimbursement for RPM and other remote healthcare services, and that is fueling massive success for the biggest players like Livongo and Validic, and uh, down to the smaller players. Given this year's proposed rule, the nation's largest telehealth companies, your Teladocs and your Doctor on Demand um, are almost certainly right now scrambling to support a potential expansion in remote physician supervision. Um, If if you want more detail about that, you can check out our blog or our our podcast. We'll we'll put some links in um, in the show notes. But I wanted to point out that smaller, newer, early stage players have the same opportunity to be heard um, through what is called a notice and comment process at CMS. It's a big deal, and I don't think that it's leveraged enough by healthcare innovators. This totally accessible and high-impact process for influencing public policy is a black box for lots of innovators, and if you know me, you know I love shining lights into black boxes. So, uh, Caitlin, are you ready to get into it?
1: Yes, I am very ready. Totally agree that it's not leveraged enough. And I'm really excited to share how important this can be because I think we've seen every single year CMS get more and more comments from the public. And I think that as we talk about it more, hopefully they will get even more and everybody will start to use this to their advantage in ways that make sense for both patients and for industry.
0: So so I want to start with one thing that might be surprising to folks, probably not surprising to the insiders like us, um, and that is that CMS does not always get things right in this fee schedule. And one of the reasons why I wanted Caitlin to join today is that she's got a great track record of... Um, identifying when that happens uh, and, and really honing in on how it could negatively impact the ability for healthcare innovation companies to grow. Um, Caitlin, I thought that maybe you could give us an example. Um, I have one in mind, I think that you'll use, but one example of you know, when, when CMS put out this fee schedule with the best of intentions, believing that these innovations will move the needle on cost and quality, and then it sort of falls flat.
1: Yeah, I think that there are definitely some examples of this. I think that you're you're absolutely right. I think that when they when they do get things wrong, which does happen, it's not because they aren't trying to do the right thing. I do think that CMS always has the best intentions behind this. And one really great example of this is 99091, which is the code you just mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, and and I want to also point out that I think it's hard for an agency like CMS that doesn't have a ton of opportunity to actually experience how things are happening in real life to draft rules that are practical. The, the people at CMS that are drafting this rules are not in the doctor's office, they're not in a telemedicine visit or seeing how patients are always benefiting from RPM or something like that. And, and I think that's why these comments are so important because it gives CMS an, a, a look into how things are happening practically. So one of the examples where I think they got it wrong initially, like I said, was with 99091. If you're familiar with RPM or you've been in the space for long enough, you will probably remember that when RPM first came about back in 20, or 2018, under um, 99091, one of the biggest limitations or barriers that, that CMS, I think, probably accidentally created was the limitation that only providers and qualified healthcare practitioners that were actually billing the codes could count their time that they spend reviewing data as it came in. So just to back up really quickly and and talk about RPM, I know you guys have talked about it on on the podcast quite a bit, but RPM is literally remote transmission of data from a patient in one location to a doctor in another location. And doctors, as most of us probably know, don't have a ton of time in their day to review all of that data. You know 99091 required required 30 minutes of time in a one month period or it was actually in a 30 day period but 30 minutes is a lot for one patient it might not be a huge lift for a doctor to spend 30 minutes with them or reviewing their data in a month but if you expand that out to 10 patients or 50 patients or a hundred patients or thousands of patients like we are seeing be put on RPM now, there's just no way for for doctors to meet that threshold or to put that amount of time into patients. It doesn't mean that time shouldn't be spent but it does mean that doctors aren't always going to be the ones in the best position to spend that time. So so that limitation, I think, created a barrier to adoption of RPM back when we only had 99091. And I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute some of the solutions that CMS created, but I do think that's probably the best example in the RPM space of how CMS probably got it wrong initially and um, ended up fixing it later on.
0: Yeah, and I, I think here also, you know, uh, nobody wants to mention it, but economics play a big role here. The 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 kinds of work, as Caitlin said, that 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 go into remote patient monitoring are super important for the quality of the service, but a physician's time is build out. Um, at a much higher rate than than the services here would have equated to, and so you know if CMS wants to really incentivize things, if CMS is all in and thinks that if more time is spent on preventative care and monitoring, um, at, 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 that that the savings in the long term and the quality of care for the patients will be better, then they've got to create financial incentives for them to do that, and they just didn't in nine nine zero nine one, and I think it was because they, as Caitlin mentioned, they're not on the ground. They're not in the doctor's offices. They don't, they're not talking with practice managers who are evaluating for their physicians whether a new service is going to be worth it for them. Um, Doctors are already overburdened as it is, we know. Um, And so anyway, so what we saw was there wasn't a lot of uptake um, on this. Luckily, when CMS doesn't get it Right, there's a process and this is called notice and comment. And if you haven't taken uh, administrative law like Caitlin and I, I will uh, distill it down for you so that you don't have to spend a semester in it like we did. Um, You pick up this notice and comment process right at the tail end of the little jingle when a bill becomes a law, right? Laws are passed by Congress. Those laws give executive agencies like CMS the authority to promulgate rules uh, that implement those laws. CMS. Uh, The agency uh, that we're talking about can't exceed the authority given by Congress. They have an interpreted role. So um, legislation is often broad and um, not descriptive enough to tell us sort of exactly how to implement it. That's the job of these executive agencies. So um, so that's what they do. They write, law, they, they, they write regulations. Um, I was at CMS in my early career. This is what I did. We put together regulations to implement the big law, which is the Affordable Care Act. Um, and then we entered into the notice and comment uh, process. Before agencies like CMS can finalize these rules, these implementing rules, they've got to give the public a chance to disagree with them. They have to give notice. Then the public gets to give comment, get it, notice, comment. Uh, then they have to, by law, read those comments, consider them, um, and, then, uh, and then finalize the policy. The agency gets to weigh all those comments. They get to get educated by the public about how they might have gotten it wrong. It's really a huge opportunity to be part of the policymaking procre- uh, process that I think a lot of folks in the industry uh, are not aware of.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um, also, I actually didn't take admin law. I should have, and I wish that I did. So if any uh, future or current law students out there are interested in healthcare law, highly recommend taking admin law if you still have the opportunity. I've done a lot of learning over the uh, past couple of years um, on how this all works, but it actually is very exciting. And and I, I totally agree that this opportunity to comment, What the thing I always say to my clients is you get one time a year to speak directly to CMS about the Medicare Physician Fee Schedule. And it's the one time of year that they're required to read read your comments and listen to you. So it's a huge opportunity. It's really, really valuable. We'll talk in a second about some examples of success that we've had in submitting these comments, Um, but, but totally agree, if you don't know about it, if you're not doing it, you should absolutely get into this
0: game. So now we know Caitlin cannot tell a lie. She could not let me advertise that she I took couldn't,
1: I couldn't.
0: You can also receive great training at, <laughs> at <laughs> <single law. laughs> yeah. um, Yes. Okay. So I think what holds a lot of folks back, even if they know about the notice and comment process, I think what holds a lot of folks back is they think it's sort of like shouting into the ether, right? It, it, CMS is huge. They're going to get t- tens of thousands of comments, they're not going to listen to us. Um, Actually, we have seen some success in CMS modifying policy based on comments that are rooted in, um, uh, you know, how it it, it will be implemented on the ground, right? CMS is putting these laws together because they want that, putting these codes out there because they want them to be used. If you come back and say, okay, we understand and appreciate Uh, what you're trying to do here. We believe in it too. Here's how this would look to us. And so we recommend you do X, Y, and Z. Um, And I just wanted to uh, Caitlin to share uh, uh, maybe one or two stories about some of the successes that she's had uh, on behalf of her clients in, in really influencing federal policy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share. I think that um, this is absolutely where the industry becomes really important. Um, So just to give an example, right, following up on 99091, we saw the barrier that was created when CMS limited reimbursement to time spent by physicians and and qualified healthcare practitioners, or in other words, the billing practitioner. Um, Because that was such a barrier, what everyone realized was, these physicians and, and providers really need to be able to leverage their clinical staff. They've got to be able to leverage those RNs, those LPNs that know what they're doing, are super valuable, but are have more time or are a little bit of um, a lower resource cost than a physician is going to be. So in 2019, yes, 2019, CMS introduced CPT codes 99457, 99453, and 99454. That 99457 code was really, really important. And these are the codes that if you're in RPM, you've probably heard about them a bunch of times. You may or may not have them memorized like I do, but they were really exciting because 99457 said that clinical staff could now provide the services and they could count their time. So we had 99091 that said physicians have to spend 30 minutes doing the monitoring and then we had 99457 that said clinical staff can spend 20 minutes a month doing monitoring, and that would still be reimbursable.
0: Yeah, and I want to I want to point out that that the creation of those additional codes was a direct result of folks commenting in the prior year that they didn't think 99091 was going to be taken up, and in fact the the data bore that out. Um, so just just getting those additional codes was um, was attributable to a lot of the comments that happened in 20, I want to say 2018. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so we had this new code. Everybody was really, really excited. We were like, great. Clinical staff can now provide these services. They can help out the physicians. A lot more patients are going to get RPN. Awesome. Unfortunately, in the proposed rule in 2019, CMS said they actually just made a mistake. The, the, Code itself said that clinical staff could provide services, but in the commentary, CMS said, no, clinical staff can't provide remote monitoring services on behalf of physicians. It's only physicians and qualified healthcare providers. So we, on behalf of a bunch of our our clients, as well as the firm and a lot of other stakeholders we know that weren't working directly with us, commented, we submitted these public comments to CMS and we said, hey, you really got this wrong. This is, a, this is a code that allows for clinical staff to provide the services and you've got to correct that. And so they did. They came back and they actually issued what was called a technical correction after the final rule. So this, is, this was a little bit later, um, but they issued a technical correction and they said, you're right, clinical staff can provide these services. It's right there in the code. And it was fixed. So that was one example where we all came together, stakeholders all came together and gave feedback to CMS. And they went ahead and changed their original position, which was incorrect. The second part that was really, really important where we had a lot of success was the following year when everybody said to CMS, We really need not only for clinical staff to be able to provide services on behalf of physicians, but we need them to be able to do this on a remote basis. We need physicians in the same way, if you're familiar with chronic care management, CCM, we need physicians to be able to outsource a clinical staff team that can monitor this data. That's not necessarily in the office with the physician all the time. They might be at home. They might be at a third party call center. They might be somewhere else but they're remote from the physician. We need them to be able to spend the time monitoring this data so that there's someone looking at it and then escalate that data back to the physician, but it has to be done on a remote basis. Um, and this is what's called general supervision. I'm not gonna get too much into the weeds of the, the different types of supervision, but, but suffice it to say that initially general supervision was not allowed. They said that um, clinical staff had to be physically located in the office with the physician, We said, that's not gonna work. And so after a bunch of stakeholders came together and submitted those comments to CMS, they made the change and they said, you're right. We understand that clinical staff need to be remote from the physician. Therefore, we're going to change the supervision level for these services. And we're now going to allow for uh, clinical staff to provide services remote from the physician monitor the data in a separate location and and escalate things to the physician when necessary. And that was hugely important because before that, a lot of our clients who are vendors to physicians were getting a lot of feedback from their customers, those physicians saying, we really want to do this with a lot more of our patients, but we don't have the resources in our office. We don't have enough RNs even to monitor all of this data. We think so many of our patients could benefit, but we can't provide the service, we don't have the resources for it, can you do this for us? And our clients weren't able to do it initially, but once we got this change, now our clients were able to build a clinical team and and provide that as an additional service to their customers. So they were able to add that value, they were able to offer the service, and the physician now was able to offer RPM for a lot more patients that could benefit from it.
0: Yeah and I and I just it, it this is a very specific use case but I think it illustrates how uh industry the tech companies, healthcare innovator tech companies who are working directly with clinicians who understand how these actually get implemented, these programs get implemented in practice are absolutely necessary. Their input is absolutely necessary to teach CMS how this is actually working. Um, And and so anyway, so this is why I say it's a a huge opportunity. Now the physician fee schedule is one of lots of regulations that get put out by CMS every year you know if your industry may not uh your industry may sell only to hospitals in which case the physician fee schedule is less less applicable you might sell into uh you know post acute or long term care facilities where the uh, reimbursement uh structure is very different right your 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 company may be impacted by different uh, proposed rules but the but the the takeaway here is you should be paying attention. As Caitlin mentioned, this is your chance. Usually big big rules like this for whatever, pol- you know, for whatever program come out about once a year, sometimes twice a year. And um, it is your chance to make your voice heard. It is your um, very uh, um, individual, inexpensive way to make your voice heard in Washington. What I will say is uh, the you know, they don't work on a tally basis, right? So the more people that say this, they don't say, well, we got 10 votes for this and five votes for this, so we're gonna go with the 10. CMS still gets to say, no, we don't agree with you. We hear what you're saying, but but, you know, that's not what we're gonna do. That's when documentation, evidence, studies, and all that become very important. Um, Commenting and saying what you think based on what's best for your business is okay, Really what you should be talking about is what's best for beneficiaries what's best for the goals of the agency and that's when you know folks who who do this on a regular basis like Caitlin can be can be helpful Um, before we before we close out I just wanted to say one more thing. which may be even less surprising to, to folks than um, the fact that CMS doesn't always get it right. It's that Congress doesn't get it right all the time, um, especially in big legislation, which gets pushed through very quickly, and people aren't paying attention to the to the individual words used. Um, it is very important for us to be advocating for smart legislation, uh, well crafted legislation. Um, one recent example is the CAA, which is which was passed. Um, in the fall of 2020 uh, and, and was uh, meant to provide greater access to tele mental health services uh, did so and then in the same bill restricted reimbursement for virtual uh, mental health services to um, visits that come after an in person service right so they handicapped themselves just by just by sloppy drafting, frankly, um, and the agencies, as I mentioned before, cannot exceed the authority given to them by Congress. And so in some cases, the agencies can, can do creative interpretive things, but they can't implement something that's not in line with the legislation. This is a little bit more difficult. Um, it is hard to lobby, you know, broad swaths of the legislature. Um, and of course, politics is involved. But I would, um, I would call your local representatives I would call the representatives that lead the committees that draft out, um, you know, the Senate Health Committee um, and the House Health Education Committee. Um, I'm saying the wrong words now. I'll follow up with apologies in the in the show notes. But but. But let them know how important it is to get this right. Um, And um, also join an association, right? These associations um, are meant to bring together industry folks. One great one is the Connected Health Initiative, um, certainly ATA. uh, Any any others you can think of, Caitlin? Alliance for Connected Care.
1: Yeah, none off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, there's a a ton of them, depending on your industry. Um, What I would do is I would if it's not cost prohibitive i would join one of these associations and then get really active right they're they're seeking input from members for what's important to those members if there's something in a in a in a you know, summary of a proposed rule that goes out to the members of of uh, your association, make sure that you're responding and saying, hey, don't forget to put this in that letter um, because they all, in addition to submitting comments to CMS for these rulemakings, they actually will be actively lobbying members of Congress and, and visiting with folks in the agencies. Um, so that's just another path that, that you can take to influence um, federal policy.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I think this is... Um this is where we can also talk about telehealth a little bit. I don't want to dig into it too much because we've already been talking for a while, but this is also a really important way to make sure that Congress is not only passing new legislation, but also updating old leg- legislation. Um, if you're f- familiar with telehealth, there are some federal laws that, that put forth some pretty tight restrictions on telehealth under Medicare that CMS can't change because it's in the federal laws. And so the way to change that is to get Congress to update these very old laws that have been in place for a long time that don't really make sense anymore based on the technology that we have. So, so that's just another reason why going to Congress, if you can, is, is really important to make sure that, that old laws are being updated on an ongoing basis as technology is changing so that innovation is not restricted by these older laws that are in place.
0: Yeah, one of the one of the big lessons I learned from starting my career in D.C. is that you should not assume the people who are writing the rules know what they're talking about. Um, Not not by ill intention uh, in in most cases, uh, but your voice is quite important. Um, And so even if you're an early stage company, um, make your voice heard. This is an easy way to do it. Um, okay. So thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining me. Thank you all of you for, um, for listening. You can find the webinar we recorded earlier. uh, if you're interested on the most physician fee schedule in the comments, reach out and let us know if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, follow us on all the things, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You can see other episodes that we've put together on Apple podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever else you stream. And we will see you for another episode in two weeks. Thanks everybody. Thanks.
1: Thanks for having me, Rebecca.
0: Of course.